0: Welcome to Star Trek comic book review. Our several year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing all Star Trek comic books ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios Inc.,
1: Hello and welcome to Star Trek comic book review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 250, recorded October 22nd, 2016.
0: So this is episode 250, and we're doing DC Comics volume 149 and 50. And it's just a month after the 50th anniversary of Star Trek, so we got a lot of 50s today. Exactly. Yeah, and wasn't the second,
1: wasn't issue 50 like... Wasn't that like a 25-year anniversary?
0: Do I have that wrong? Uh, I don't know. Actually, yeah, you're right. It is the uh, it was the celebration of the 25th anniversary. Okay, I there you go. Let me double check. So quite a coinkydink,
1: um, and it's it's cool. And it's a longer issue, so it's like a double
0: size issue. Right. Yes, and it. Um, so that's why we're only doing two today. Supposedly supposed to wrap up some storylines, but to me, it just opens up more. So, good thing this <laughs> series wasn't canceled at fifty.
1: Exactly. So we got a what another ten? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. But it'll be um, another major series. Check. We're very close. Which is yeah, is good.
0: Yeah, you we're keep, making you progress. Keep acting so excited about being done. Oh. And here Donovan. I am, all set. I'm like, soon we're gonna run out of Star Trek. Oh come on. We got two
1: new, <laughs> we got two new major series that has just launched. We've got the first issues which we're looking forward to doing uh, boldly go and uh, what was the other one? Waypoint Waypoints that's it right okay. And I really like the idea of waypoints.
0: So you right, were telling yeah. you were
1: telling me before the uh, we started recording about that one so
0: why don't you mention that? Uh, well, it's just an anthology based on Star Trek so every every episode or every issue will be, two stories uh, based on any continuity uh, of Star Trek they, they wish to do. So Way cool. So we'll get some Voyager. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, and maybe even some Enterprise. Yep.
1: Okay, good. That would be great to see uh, Archer and crew in comic
0: book form. Yeah, make their comic debut. Yes. Great idea. Great idea. But that's not today. That's uh, Actually, next week we'll do um, – We're not going to do Waypoint next week. We'll do, we'll finish off Ongoing. Um, What was that? uh, Fifty-nine and sixty. Yes. And then we'll do boldly go number one. Yes. Little teaser for next episode. (laughs) Right. But today we got issue number forty-nine of this uh, somewhat, I guess, twenty-five-year-old comic. You want (sighs) to get us started on it? I would be happy to.
1: So, issue forty-nine is titled "Aspiring to Be Angels." Published date is April 1988. Scripter is Peter David. Yay, Peter David. Penciler, Tom Sutton. Inker, Ricardo Villegrand. Letterer, Helen Vesick. Colorist, Michelle Wolfman. Editor, Robert Greenberger. The cover features close-ups of Kirk and Konam's faces from inside their spacesuit helmets. They and three more crewmen are floating in space as a full-size Klingon D-7 is bearing down on them and firing their disruptors. One crewman is shot and still glowing while the other one is being shot. Captain's log records that the Enterprise is speeding at warp 6 to the planet Mirad, where a Klingon science outpost has been attacked and destroyed, supposedly by a Federation Reliant-class ship. Families were living on that outpost, and the Klingons are livid with their deaths. Kirk's orders are to get there before the Klingons and find out what really happened before the planet is locked down to preserve the famous Klingon need for secrecy. The wreckage of the destroyed colony building is shown with a lone survivor clutching at her, or is it his, toy doll. It appears to be a young Klingon with a white complexion, quite pale. An unusual color for a Klingon. In an enterprise conference room, Konam is presenting his analysis of the colony. An experimental farming community. No major weapons presence. They are likely exactly what they appear to be. No threat to anyone. Kirk accepts the report, and Spock concurs with Konam's assessment. Kirk dismisses all except for Scotty, Bones, and Chekhov. Kirk, still with a bandaged head from taking a bottle to the head in the last issue, balls them out for separating for separately spiking the bachelor party punch. He sentences all three to no alcohol consumption for a month. He tells Chekhov to tell Bearclaw to be at Kirk's Quarter's ASPAP. On the planet, the sole survivor hears footsteps. It's an Endorian and two thuggish-looking alien henchmen. They are heavily armed, and they notice a survivor. The big alien takes a chunk of equipment off a Klingon male, and throws the injured Klingon high in the air, which is quite a feat of strength. The other two fire at the hapless Klingon, who is disintegrated in mid-air. The brute continues on looking for sport. The horrified little girl, or is it boy, stays in her hiding place. On the Enterprise, Bearclaw enters the captain's quarters. The captain calls him on the carpet for his bigotry, which he displayed at the bachelor party. Bearclaw tries to use the alcohol and is a- as an excuse for his distasteful actions, but Kirk will have none of it. Kirk thinks there is a good officer in Bearclaw, if he could overcome his primitive instincts to hate beings that are not like him. Kirk thought, given time, that man would emerge, but he is not, and Kirk is sick of waiting. At the next port of call, Bearclaw will be off the flagship of the Federation and onto a smaller ship where he can be his insufferable self, but not, at, but not in the presence of Kirk. Kirk says, Smart people learn from their, fe- from their failures and become better. This is an opportunity for growth and change. Bearclaw had better it. Back on Mirad, the albino Klingon girl is caught. The big alien takes her by her leg, and is ready to toss her in the air as a bit of target practice. Before she becomes airborne, a voice of authority orders the child to be put down gently. It is Kirk and his landing party with phasers drawn. The ruffians put the child down, and it runs instinctively to Konam, another Klingon. The Endorian scum is more than happy to tell Kirk that the ship he is from is responsible for destroying this colony. The good ship Renegade, under the command of Captain Czar, plans on setting the Klingons and Federation at each other's throats. The Andorian confidently claims the ship that Kirk is from is as good as destroyed. Kirk calls up to the ship and warns them. Spock's, Spock reports ship sensors have picked up no other ship in the vicinity. Yet suddenly, two photon torpedoes are spotted rushing at them. The Enterprise is hit. Spock reports they must have cloaking technology better than the Romulans. The landing party and their prisoners are all beamed up to the pirate ship. They are attacked and their weapons taken. Eventually, Captain Zar enters the room gun in hand. He tells them to get the prisoners into spacesuits. Spock sees the renegade ship coming at them. And when it gets close enough, they see approximately seven people in spacesuits on the saucer section. Spock conjectures it's the landing party, and they hold fire. The renegade ship cloaks itself as another ship arrives, a Klingon battle cruiser. A bridge officer reports to the Klingon commander that near the Federation ship are lifeforms floating in space. Two of them are Klingon. The Klingon commander gives the orders to transport the lifeforms aboard. On the Enterprise, MrS reports the Klingons have beamed a landing party aboard their ship. Spock tells her to warn the Klingons that they will see an unusual display as Spock orders Sulu to fire a full spray of phasers at the projected location of the renegade ship. The Klingon commander is surprisingly accommodating and lets Kirk contact the Enterprise. Spock reports they missed the pirate ship and he assumes they have left the area. The one-eyed Klingon commander named Kron tells Kirk he has 15 minutes to get off his ship and take that traitor Konam and the child abomination with them. Bryce scolds Kron, saying that the child is one of his own. Kron corrects her and says any half-breed mutant made from the mating of a Klingon and a human is most definitely not one of his. The news the scared albino child is a cross between human and Klingon causes Nancy and Konam to look at each other with shock and great gravity. To be continued in a double-sized anniversary edition. Bring rice, just in case. So we're having sushi? I think so. They should have also mentioned seaweed. Oh yeah, of course. Exactly. Rice, seaweed, fish. There you go. Got yes, him. yes, yes. So will these two finally get married? I don't know. I certainly hope they don't turn it into uh, an issue that's going to be just droning on about the marry, you know, the the marriage, the the wedding. Yeah, I hope not too. God, I, I can't stand that. <laughs> it's like my my wife watches soap operas, and that's fine. That's fine. Everybody likes different things. But when mm-hmm. they do a wedding thing. Oh my God! The wedding takes multiple days to complete. Anyway, well, I just so hope you, they don't do
0: that. You just want them to get it out of the way fast. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> well, we'll see. Yeah, no problem. We'll see, what they, we'll see what they do. Uh, you, know, in, in, you know, very soon. So, anyway, so what'd you think of this issue?
1: Um, I th- I thought it was fine. I I thought yeah. it was fine. I liked it. Um, you know, uh, what's the deal with the albino Klingon child, small person, whatever, maybe a midget. Uh, <laughs> uh, that, that's a, that's a, a, a question that I, I want to have answered. And, um, right. and what's the deal with this, uh, this Reliant-class ship?
0: Reliant-class ship... Don't they call it a? Miranda. They call it a Reliant class ship, but it's supposed to be a Miranda ship, right?
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: So, it's in been... my synopsis of the next issue, it will be a Miranda, Miranda uh, class Miranda ship. Okay, that's fine. I can't, uh, I can't call it the wrong thing. No, oh, but they've called it both. Have they? I think they they just keep calling it Miranda, and I'm just like, ah, come on, guys. Whoa, wait, Peter, David, you know better than this. I think there's been multiple comics that have
1: called it a Reliant Class. Yeah, I'm not saying it's right. I'm
0: talking about this issue, this issue. Okay, okay. Anyways, I'm just nitpicking. So, um, yeah, so uh, I like this issue. Um, I'm glad you kind of pointed out the part that I kind of didn't like was the target practice with the people. Just throwing them straight up in the air and shooting them. That was nasty. Yeah, but so... Impossible. I mean, this guy's big, but come on. Well, they're tr- okay. So they're trying to underscore how strong
1: this guy is because it's going to come up later, right? They want to demonstrate, and th- this this is an odd looking alien, but he's big and obviously really strong. So he's the muscle
0: on this pirate ship, definitely. Yeah. Does he ever talk? Well, he he keeps he keeps I, calling this little guy moron. So uh, I guess that's his. That's his name? I didn't like that. I don't like calling him moron. Well, <laughs>
1: no, I don't like it either, but... We'll see later. He calls himself moron. Right. So, that confused me. Because I thought this was, like, you know, just a a big ruffian jerk. Uh, and, and And the small person, Klingon. Uh, demonstrates he's not very good at speech, especially when he's nervous, and he's really nervous in this issue. So I thought they were just being insulting because he wasn't able to speak very well. Right.
0: So I saw a little bit of uh, an oddity in the artwork uh, when it comes to this little guy. Mm -hmm. They're on uh, page 13, uh, right before he's about to get thrown, and he's hanging upside down. If you notice, it looks like the ridges on the top of his head Actually, go off into his hair. So when he's upside down and his hair is uh, hanging down, you can see like his ridges has like a little tail thing that's also hanging down. Oh, really? Yeah. So uh, l- look on page thirteen. We... Oh, yeah. Look at that. Yeah, so it, it looks
1: like it. It looks like some kind of segmented tail or something.
0: Huh. Right. So are they implying that all Klingons have this, and we've just never seen one dangling upside down before, or? Because he's some weird hybrid that uh, he's got this tail, or could it just be a mistake in the art? I
1: think I don't know if it's a mistake. I think it's what the artist intended to do, but I don't think, I don't think I've ever seen that. I know I have not ever seen that before. I yeah, don't think it's no, right. I don't think it's right. Continuity-wise, I don't think it's right. But I, I, it seems like he did it because that's the way he wanted to do it.
0: Yeah, and it's almost like the colorist maybe knew that it was wrong, and, and so it, he colored it, the, or she colored it, it's Michelle Wolfman, mm-hmm. that she colored it the hair color instead of the skin tone color, yeah. which is very close, but there is a difference. <clears throat> it's between... a little yellower. The hair is it's a little, little yellower. Right. So, anyways, I just thought that was interesting. That is interesting. I didn't see that. I did not notice that. Good detail. Good spot. And and what I also thought was interesting about this little guy is that he's basically an albino, right? Mm-hmm. And they keep acting like they've never seen an albino Klingon before, yet from Deep Space Nine, we know there are albino Klingons. So could this be the albino from Deep Space Nine that will uh, <laughs> that will cause uh, Dax and her compatriots so, so much trouble? I, I do not remember mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I don't remember that
1: episode. Of ds
0: nine. Oh, really? Sorry. It was the episode where, where all the classic series Klingons came back to visit with oh, Dax, right. and they're all bumpy headed now. Right, in, right, in the, right, 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 where...
1: And and then they were going after the albino.
0: Right. Klingon. Okay. Okay. Right. Now everybody. And he was continuity the, he was wise, this guy would be old enough to be the Kling, the the albino from that Deep Space Nine episode. Well, that would be interesting, except for the fact that.
1: In the next book, they're insinuating this guy may be fully grown. Right. He may be adult, but I don't think they actually say for sure.
0: Yeah, I don't think they ever say for sure. Anyhow, I just thought it was funny that they keep saying there's no such thing as an albino or that's that colored and I'm Right. Like, yes, there is. Yes, there is. Quit saying it.
1: <laughs> well, okay. At the time that this book was published. Sure. Was that DS9? episode out? No, not at all. Okay, well... Next Generation had just barely started. There you go. In, in that case, there was no precedent for that before. I know. Odds are. I know. Just telling you. I know. Just pointing out. I know you're being funny, but just pointing Right. Yeah. So, so... Go ahead. So just because it's supposedly a cross between a human and a Klingon, why is it albino? I mean, the humans, it could be a a, a black-skinned human, it could be an Asian human, it could be a a Caucasian uh, human. What scenario is going to make a a, a pale albino Klingon just because it's a a human?
0: Right. Yeah, we have no idea what what other ailments it had. Other than just it being a, a hybrid. Yeah.
1: And by the way, how does Kron know that? Is he just assuming that? Or does he really know some of the research that they were doing on
0: doing at that base? I don't know, because he seems surprised in the next one.
1: Hmm. Okay.
0: Well, uh, not Kron. Not surprised please, about surprised. what? Not, not Kron. No, I, I was getting him confused. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about the captain. Uh, yeah. Or the commander, the Klingon commander. Right, yeah, no, I don't know. I guess he probably knew what was going on. Could be, because otherwise, why would you assume that? (laughs) Maybe he scanned him
1: when they beamed him over. Uh, Yeah, maybe, maybe. Because he pretty much looks like a full-blooded Klingon to me, except for the skin color. I mean... Yeah, just a little shorter.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. Like I said, I think these two issues open up a lot of questions that don't necessarily all get answered. Right. I did like the two shots of the Enterprise and the uh, Renegade so close to each other that they're almost ramming into each other. I mm-hmm. thought
2: that, mm-hmm.
0: that was a cool depiction. Right. Um, um, I thought it was cute how Emress is
1: still kinda digging on Sulu after their little fun session. Well, it is basically the next the next morning, right? So Yes. It's I know. Still but... fresh
0: fresh on their minds.
1: I know, but Sulu seems a little bit like ooh, I did what ooh. <laughs> a little a little hesitant about a uh about what might have happened
0: uh i didn't I didn't catch that then well, he 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 i thought he he says that he doesn't know um it's been a while since I read this so I'm trying to re- remember the exact dialogue but is he talking to somebody and they ask what what's going on and he says he doesn't really know or Well, it's either in this
1: issue or the next one.
0: Right. Because the only thing I know happened
1: in this one is uh, she was kind of lingering at his uh,
0: station, at his uh, helmsman station. And and rubbing her tail on his face. Exactly. There you go. (laughs) He says, says, oh boy, instead of oh my. Oh
1: my. Well, maybe he wasn't quite into the oh oh my bit yet.
0: Right. I don't think he was, but it is funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I kind of like them as a couple. I hope hope it works out for them. Yeah. I hope she doesn't get written out of continuity soon. Yeah.
1: Now, you see, I would have a problem with that relationship because I'm allergic to cats.
0: Oh, that'd be horrible, Ken.
1: And I'm not sure how much I would want the shedding fur everywhere. Or to cat shed. To cat
0: shed? I suppose they do, don't they? cat shed, yeah. Okay, there you go. Never had a cat. Well, with proper grooming, I'm sure she doesn't just shed everywhere. Because <laughs> that's a big cat.
1: Yeah, yeah. If you were a type A that didn't like hair everywhere, you'd be in trouble.
0: <laughs> anyway. That's funny. You might be allergic to Klingons, too. We don't know. Well,
1: uh, yeah, but. Okay. Yeah, I, I just think that big Klingon, the, not big Klingon, the big pirate that was throwing people in the air, I think he's a very mm-hmm. interesting design.
0: Definitely something new.
1: Yeah, I've never seen anything quite like
0: him before. So his head almost looks like a fish, kind of. With like, uh, like like two long fins that kind of taper down to the head. Right. And then what is it? I guess. Does he have four ears? eyes? I don't know.
1: Yeah, four eyes. That's weird. Yeah,
0: it's interesting.
1: And he's big. Yeah, he's big. But he gets his comeuppance
0: in the next issue. A little foreshadowing. Yeah, I'll be honest, I don't remember him getting come up and so
1: Oh really? Like I said,
0: it's been a while, so I'll have to Okay. You'll have to remind me. <laughs> okay. Okay,
1: that's all I have to say about this one.
0: Uh that's all I have to say about the book itself. Uh mm-hmm. I will say that of of all the books we've read recently, uh this one has some of the best ads in it. Mm. Um there's okay. a you know, this was also during superman's 50th anniversary so there was a lot of hoopla for that so there's like a cool um cool action comics annual um cover um it's opposite of page 21 oh i see it where it shows uh superman and big sock face yep so that's a cool i mean uh i don't think they they this is in the continuity where he's still with lois so i don't know why they're smooching right but I know that in the New 52 continuity, uh, they do end up being an item, so it's kind of foreshadowing a little bit. Uh-huh. Well, it kind of makes and sense it,
1: that they would be a couple. Right. Well, make,
0: yeah, but I, I do like Lois, so. Yeah. And then uh, in this issue, there was a one-page ad for um, DC's version of The Phantom, mm-hmm. which is a you know basically the granddaddy of all— comic book characters he's the first one to wear the mask he's the first one to have no eyes when he's wearing the mask and all oh, right you know he predates superman right by a few years so it's kind of cool to see that dc was uh doing a, a mini-series for him written by peter david who we both love oh yeah and then in the next issue there's a um there's a flash gordon um, miniseries being ad um advertised which is also kind of cool so Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers and them, you know, all, all, obviously they all started off in comic book form before we got the serials and TV shows and movies. So mm-hmm. it's kind of cool to see them again in the comic book form. Cool. But obviously at this time, King Comics, which does the comic strips and the newspapers, did a uh, a deal with DC where they could produce miniseries based on their characters in their own continuity. So hmm. anyway, cool. I just like I like seeing that kind of stuff.
1: Oh, yeah, sometimes the ads uh, are very cool, and they remind you of points in time also. Exactly. You know, I don't know if those Especially... do for you, but sometimes when they have movie ads and things, it's like, oh, okay, so now this puts me more in context with where the, when
0: this was out. Right, and video game ads. And video game ads, right. Right. But definitely the 50th anniversary of Superman. That was, that was a big deal for me. I remember, you know, because... There wasn't a movie for a long time, and then suddenly on the news and everything, they're talking about Superman, and I'm like, oh, "They're talking about it." <laughs> so, <laughs> One of your favorites. 88 was, Eighty-eight was a was a good year for me, I guess. Good, very good. So we got Next Generation, and uh, they were making a big deal out of Superman, so yeah. Yeah. it's a good time to be a nerd. Not as good as it is now, but uh, now it's pretty good. Yeah. All right, well, you ready to move on to issue 50? Let's do it. All right, so issue 50 came out in May of 88. It would have cost you a whopping $1.50 to get this issue. Uh, just from experience from when I was a kid, I missed this issue when it came out. And in the back issues, it was a lot more than $1.50, more than my allowance warranted. So I did not read this till much, much later. But uh, on the cover has a big, big advertisement that it is the anniversary issue number 50. So I assume it's the 25th anniversary, even though the cover doesn't say. The art staff and writing staff is all the same from issue 49. And it is entitled Marriage of Inconvenience. So the cover shows pastel colored panels. Uh, they kind of cover the whole page. And in what looks like chalk art... Uh, we see depiction of Kirk holding a phaser. And then we see the Enterprise swooping by. And then we see the faces of Spock and McCoy. And then at the very bottom le- right-hand corner, we see a Klingon battlecruiser. So the story starts with a Klingon ship called the Fury. And it's being stalked and eventually destroyed by the cloaked Miranda-class ship, calling itself the Renegade. The modified Federation ship shows... Technology that we've never seen before Like shields that can reflect disruptor Power uh, back at The attacking ship and also um, An undetectable cloaking Device on the Enterprise Bearclaw is still reeling over Being reassigned off the Enterprise As he was in last issue He bumps into Sherwood who As you recall he was romantically Linked with here recently And he totally brushes her off He also bumps into Sulu and Chekhov And is totally rude to them He hears Chekhov tell Sulu not to worry about it. Bearclaw's just being a Bearclaw. Bearclaw turns the corner and he runs into Kirk and his Klingon guests. Kron, the commander who saved their lives uh, while they were in space last issue, makes a veiled threat about Bearclaw, and Kirk surprisingly defends him. When the Klingons move along, Bearclaw asks Kirk if he's reconsidered, and Kirk informs him that he has not changed his mind. Meanwhile, in sickbay, McCoy is checking out the small child from the colony. They deduce that he is a malformed Klingon-human hybrid. Bryce, hearing this, freaks out and heads to Sherwood's quarters. She tells her friend that the wedding might be off. Later, the Klingon emperor, whose name is Kalis, and the Federation president are discussing the recent issues over the communication screen. Kirk recaps the last few issues about how the Renegade is going around killing Klingon colonies. The Federation assures the Klingons that they will do everything they can to ensure the safety of the Klingons. Spock concludes that there's three possible locations for the next attack. One is a Federation Klingon planet with a competing colony on it, uh, similar similar to how Maggie's world was a few issues back. So they decide that Crone will take his ship to cover one of the other planets, while Kirk takes the Enterprise to the other. And they just hope that the Renegade does not attack the combo planet until the Federation can get another ship out to this quadrant. Conum arrives at Sherwood's quarters looking for Bryce. Finding her, Bryce tells him that the wedding is off due to the possibility that any children they have will have physical defects similar to the the guy in sickbay. Conum leaves and bumps into Bearclaw, telling him that he was just in there talking about mating. Bearclaw assumes that he was talking to Shearwood about this, and he rushes in, and he finds Bryce crying on her friend's shoulder. With the Enterprise en route to the planet they were assigned to guard, the crew conclude that the missing Federation ship called Zephyr is now the one calling itself Renegade. The Zephyr went missing at Omicron Seti-4. They think that perhaps that's a good place to find some evidence as to what happened. Not allowed to leave the Klingon planet unprotected, Kirk will send a shuttle with a volunteer crew to check out Omicron Seti-4. Konam volunteers for duty, leaving only a letter to let Bryce know that he's going. Bearclaw talks to Kirk again in the turbolift to see if he's reconsidered. We do not hear what Kirk's response is to Bearclaw, but when Kirk leaves the turbolift, all he says, and that's final. So I guess it wasn't good news. As the shuttle is about to depart, Bearclaw arrives and he tricks the team, saying that he's to replace a crew member named Fergie with a story that her mother had just passed away. Now on board the shuttle, they depart for the planet. Conum is in command, and Bearclaw is being very respectful to his once rival. On the Renegade, the captain gets his orders from a mysterious leader. The captain kills a chicken-looking alien upon leaving his quarters. Thus, the rest of the crew know that he's in a good mood. As they get the cloak ready, they head off to their next destination. The shuttlecraft arrives at Omicron and they detect no life forms. They land and shortly they're attacked by androids. Konum is hurt and Bearclaw risks his life to save Konum from certain death. They are all pinned down and it does not look good for this away team. Back on the Enterprise, Bryce talks to Spock about the dangers of having a hybrid child. Spock reminds her that he too is indeed a hybrid himself and that it is always a gamble when it comes to matters of love. Bryce then talks to the Klingon hybrid who tells her that he remembers overhearing the attackers discuss Indecor which just happens to be the name of the human Klingon world that no one is currently patrolling. Kirk takes this as a clue, and he leaves the current planet unprotected so that he can travel to Indicore. Above the planet Indicore, the Renegade is about to open fire on the Klingon colony, when suddenly the Enterprise drops out of warp and actually rams into the Renegade. With the, with the Renegade unable to raise its special shields, Kirk beams over the Enterprise security team and quickly overtake the ship. The Renegade's captains takes his special shuttle and departs the ship. They conclude that he's heading out to Omicron Seti IV. The Enterprise arrives at Omicron, and they save Conum and Bearclaw from the androids. They also find Captain Zar, who happens to be in the freezer, and McCoy concludes that this guy's been dead for over two weeks. Kirk acknowledges that there are way too many open questions. As to what happened to Czar two weeks ago, who's now frozen, and his possible doppelganger that's out there somewhere still in space. Conum and Bryce have a discussion about not needing to be married. And they both agree to it. And then you turn the page and we see a huge wedding where they obviously change their minds. The caption at the bottom of the page reads, Next, Haunted Honeymoon. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Haunted Honeymoon. Now that sounds interesting. It was a good movie, Haunted Honeymoon, with Gene Wilder and Dom DeLuise. Were they married in that one? How oh, nice. Ah, uh, no, I don't think they were the ones that got married. Oh, so it was.
1: Uh... Yeah. So who? I think Gilda Radner was in that. Gilda yeah. Radner. Okay, cool. I believe so. I, I don't remember. But they did make or... a nice couple. For as yeah, long as it lasted, unfortunately. Right. Anyway, so cool. Oh. So they kept it to one
0: page. The wedding. The right. But weren't page. you confused? Weren't you confused? The panel before, they're saying that they both agree they should not get married. It's the best thing to do. And then you turn the page and it's this big scene where she's wearing a big elaborate dress and it's it's over. Yes. She is wearing a dress, right? Oh, uh, I think so.
1: Let me go back yeah, to that page. Yeah. no, she is. Yeah. yeah, she's got a white dress on. Right. Without a train. Hmm.
0: Right. So it
1: seems like the uh, maid of honor has more of a fancy traditional dress than the bride.
0: Eh, whatever. It's it's nice to see more on there.
1: <laughs> the ring bear? He's the yeah the ring bearer the flower child whatever. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Um so are they going to adopt him or something? I don't know what's going on. Anyway, I don't know what's going on. Uh but yeah, if so they're both together and they're saying, "Oh, we don't need to get married." No, no, no. I uh, and they're going, "Oh, definitely. I I definitely agree. I do." Yeah. So it's the same old thing. Um love Trump's all even logic, you know. Right. You know. There, 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 no, I, I'm the... glad they got Oh, go ahead. I just wanted to say, it's there's the cold rational side of you that says, "Oh, we don't need to do this. We don't have need to have kids right away." And blah 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 blah. And you get married right away, and you have kids right away. It's just, it's just, just the way things are. Love trumps so. all, supposedly. Not always, but it's nice in the books that that happens. Right.
0: Yeah. Too bad real life's not like that. Well, sometimes it can be. Just not always. Right. Anywho, what'd you think of the story? I mean, did you think this was a conclusion to the story, or was it more of, I mean, they took out the Renegade, but aside from that, we don't know what the heck happened, and there was no conclusion to anything. Right, so I
1: think overall, I think this was very good writing. I think Peter David did a very good job on this writing. Um, There were a lot of things going on in it. Uh, There were some – Some stories are kinda watered down, like like they don't want to get parents angry or anything and and it's all very bland and generic and uh, you know, there's things going on where Peter David is fine with like saying, Okay, this is kind of extreme and it's happening like throwing people in the air and shooting them. You know, he he, he's okay with doing those kind of things. And I and I kinda like that. There's a little bit more of an edge to the story. Um And, and I think, I just, I just think it was very interesting. But I completely agree with you. They've kind of set something up almost like they had with uh, the first season of Enterprise. Where there was, you know, the Temporal Cold War and that kind of thing. Where somebody was feeding uh, high tech to people, you know, to the bad guys. It was causing problems for the Federation and, of course, the uh, Archer and the Enterprise. So I see right. something very similar here. Uh, I don't know who they are yet or what all their motivations are, but somebody is feeding... is trying to breed uh, anarchy for their own ends. Right. So...
0: Yeah, I was definitely getting a, um, I was definitely getting an Enterprise feel, especially when he came out of his quarters after talking to the mysterious benefactor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah but i didn't under, i you know i don't even understand the crew because they all seem to be crazy looking aliens including the chicken dude that gets his head chopped off <laughs> wasn't he that is that the same race that uh spock's doctor on his ship <laughs> no it kind of looks like him. no yeah this one looks more chickeny and oh, and that doctor so? was more big birdie
1: <laughs> I, I, first thing I saw when I saw him getting uh, killed was like, "Hey, that's uh, that's Spock's doctor."
0: Yeah, well, we know that that Spock guy died. Why well, know that? that doctor I mean, died and then got thrown into the sun. I, I know that. I'm saying the same nature. race, same race. I gotcha. I was not thinking that, but I can see it. But I think this one—he looks a little different. Okay, fine, whatever. His leg is, his, his neck is much skinnier. Right.
1: Yeah, well, okay, so this crew is a mutt crew. So basically whoever this party is that's causing all this stuff to happen. They needed to get a ship, so they got one. Um, by by taking it and apparently oh. killing the captain and cloning him and then somehow controlling the clone. I don't know. But then the but rest of them the rest
0: of the crew I don't Where's know. The rest they, they... of the
1: Zephran's crew. Well, maybe it was or easier to clone were. one person, the captain, and then they just went ahead and grabbed available dwells
0: that will just come together and work for money. Right, but in on Omicron SETI-4, they only found the frozen captain. They didn't find the rest of the actual crew. I agree. So they... I don't know, but that's another question. I'm
1: just saying, right. you asked where, you know, what an odd mutt... Crew, and I'm just saying, it was a, it was a crew of convenience that they were able to pull right. together and throw
0: together. Um, yeah, at first I thought they were trying to say that it was the same crew that the, that the whole the whole ship mutinied, mutinied against the inter, the Federation, and they're all going rogue. But the more I think about it, I I I really get the feeling that these guys are just pirates or bandits or whatever that that now aboard it. I agree. So maybe we'll get more answers in 51, um, and we'll know who uh, – I mean, now that they've captured all these these pirates and stuff, they should be able to get some more answers. Right. Agreed. Um, uh,
1: who's that big guy on the security squad? That took out the guy that you like uh-huh. so much? uh So the big nasty pirate that throws people in the air for target practice, he ends up getting laid out by – some security guy that's like at least twice the size of a normal human being. And you don't see his face or anything. Because right. he doesn't even fit in the panel of the comic book. He's that big. <laughs> and it's like, man! You should have a couple of those guys on uh, on more security yeah. teams.
0: Yeah, I was just shocked on how big the, uh, the hallways, how tall the hallways are there on a Reliant-class ship. Exactly. Because, uh, yeah. I don't don't remember them being that tall no yeah the big guy reminds me of uh did you ever watch the show police squad uh which was later made into naked gun movies oh yeah uh oh yeah okay so the one character you never saw his head because he was so right big. yeah you can never see the, the guy's head Uh huh. i think they used him more on the tv show than they did in the movies yeah. but he was always funny because just this this torso that walked up and <laughs> 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 that's what this guy looks like huh? I did not tie that together
1: cool anyway the, the whole thing is for a comedic effect so Peter David sure. is is known for being able to throw some pretty good humor into the stories and he's definitely done it in, in these two right. books and that's part of it
0: right and I also thought the Conum uh, telling Claw that he came out of the quarters and he was talking about mating I thought that was also really funny <laughs> Exactly. Could you have
1: said something that would more likely set Claw off?
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, that was good. I like that. So, do you think they're going to redeem Claw, and then Kirk's going to actually change his mind? Or do you think Claw's still on the way out? Even though he saved Conan's life. I think he'll probably be around.
1: I think Kirk will change his mind. But we'll find out when we get to the other issues. Right. Yeah. Um... One thing about the story, even though I, I do like the story, the only thing I don't like about the story is rather than using cleverness or something like that to save the day, it wa- Kirk saves the day through violence. That's it. Just plain, straightforward yeah. violence. Sheer, sheer force. Sheer force. So use guns, use an unusually competent <laughs> security team, I mean, going in. I mean, this is the kind of stuff Klingons usually do, right? Not, not Federation uh, security teams. I mean, security teams are usually on the defense, not on the offense like this. I mean, it's kind of cool they did it. It's just, it's like, it's just, just a little unhappy that they had to do it through violence. But you know, obviously, this team had, or the pirates have proven themselves to be the kind you probably can't talk down from the ledge. So I suppose violence was the way to do it. It's just
0: kind of story they had to resort to it. Right. Yeah, and even the ramming of the, the ship, the Renegade, um, I mean, I, I, reading it, I got the feeling like it was an accident, that they That's came I out thought. of warp too close, and they just ended up hitting them. But right. then that doesn't really make sense because, I mean, it's not Star Wars where you just come out of hyperspace and you're there, and you, had, you have no idea what you're coming into when you show up. I mean, warp is... I mean, you're still scanning light years ahead so that you don't hit anything, and you can maneuver and stuff at warp. So there's no reason Sulu couldn't have known where that ship was and, and not crashed into it. Right. I mean, it, so, just, it made for a really cool situation, but uh, if you think about it, he really shouldn't have accidentally crashed into it. Agreed. And that also makes it more, more logical in that uh, the security
1: team was ready to go. I mean, how often right. do you come into a situation like that? It's ship versus ship. I mean, you're not going to... Normally, you're not going to deploy a boarding party uh, unless right. maybe that was part of your te- your plan all along. Maybe they always have a boarding party ready and we just don't know uh-huh. it because they don't ever get to use it. With really big guys that are double the size of a normal human? Maybe. And we just never see it. I mean, th- th- these guys yeah. these guys reminded me of Mako's. Right. I, I could see that. Yep. Because um, they... They seemed extremely effective in taking down these pirates, and and that just seemed like more something of a special ops kind of thing rather than normal security.
0: Right. I liked it though. I thought it was I thought it was good to see competent people other than just the bridge crew. Yeah. Yep. They deployed them and they did the job. Right. But I mean, it, it doesn't. Doesn't help that the the people they're fighting against seem to be low educated yahoos that are right. running around. Yay! Hey, the captain killed the chicken guy.
1: <laughs> yeah. So so they're they're not disciplined. Right. So when somebody does start taking over the ship, it probably turns into every man for themselves pretty quick.
0: Right. Yeah. So, anyways, hopefully, like I said, next episode, next issue, they'll uh, they'll. Fill us in on what's going on. Yes, that would be good. Rather than just leave us dangling. Right. So I did like how the... Uh, Kirk mentioned that the shuttlecraft needed to have a warp sled attached to it. Mm-hmm. A nice nod to how um, shuttlecraft work in in this timeline. Yes, I agree.
1: I mean, it's great in next-gen time frame where small ships and Voyager... Small ships have extreme warp capabilities it's really amazing how many ships small ships can do high warp speeds supposedly
0: even right. the uh, the captain's yacht can reach high warp uh, right well even the runabouts and stuff I mean because there was episodes well, where there was an episode of next gen where um, Troy and Captain Picard go back to earth but they didn't want the enterprise to come back so they go off on a on a runabout or a shuttle or something, and, and I'm like thinking, well, that makes no sense because how fast can that runabout go versus the Enterprise? You know, they could get there in a half the time if they actually took the Enterprise. But, you know, time doesn't really matter much, it seems like. It just depends well, on who, who's writing the story. Well,
1: yeah, and not only that, but I've been getting these um, Eagle Moss collectible little ship things highly detailed. Anybody that likes that kind of stuff, I, I thoroughly mm. recommend Eagle Moss ships they're, they're they're detailed, they're beautiful, they're small so you can and they come with a, a a very interesting magazine. They do. They do come with a very interesting magazine. Um and it's a beautiful magazine. They're very well done. Uh very nice printing quality, nice graphics, and they give you a lot of information. And I assume they're not making stuff up. But you read these books because I've obtained some some of the like like the shuttles, little shuttle things. Like uh, like there's a really sleek shuttle, uh, not the Delta Flyer, but just more like the standard issue shuttle aboard the uh, aboard Voyager. And even that thing can do high warp. You know, yeah. like like warp six. And it's like, well, if those little things can do warp warp six, then yeah, a runabout's bigger than that. Uh, I can see that doing high warp. Um, anyway, so yes, I'm glad they're sticking to, the, to to good continuity, which is back in this time period. Small ships don't just automatically do warp, so that's great. I agree. Right. Which all gets back to what the, uh, the motion picture Star Trek motion picture where Spock gets catches up to the Enterprise. Right. Uh, and that shuttle that and uses his, the his warp, little sled. warp sled.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Which, which again, I, I, I like that. I like the idea that your little shuttles can't just inherit exactly
1: go. Because definitely but the then Galileo again, 7 I, couldn't.
0: Well, we don't know it. I mean, it, it looks like it had port nacelles on there, but they never say it could do anything other than just go down to the atmosphere. Yeah, or sublight speed
1: around the um, you know, around the, uh, the solar system
0: or whatever. Yeah. Now, um, I mean back when enterprise was on mm-hmm. um i rem- i was in another country i lived in another country mm-hmm. and my wife was here watching it and she was like telling me about the episodes and stuff that i was missing mm-hmm. and she says something about well there was an episode where uh to and archer go somewhere in a shuttlecraft but like back to earth and i'm like what? It's like that that you know with my nerd hat on that shuttlecraft should not have warp blah 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 but <laughs>
1: excuse me sir i
0: don't believe that that is practical but now that i think about it i'm like i remember that conversation very well but i don't remember the actual episode so now i need to go back and rewatch that but i i'm pretty well, sure there's an episode where they, they say that those shuttlecrafts had warp drive what the pods those crappy
1: yeah. little pods they had
0: or there was some little ship that did well I don't okay know.
1: so so maybe it's another shuttle but it's not a shuttle that they normally carried on the ship, because they call them pods, right? And those those right. things look yeah, those slow like as hats. things. Exactly. They're small. They're they're
0: slow. All right, I'm gonna have to go back and. Look.
1: There must be like another ship
0: that 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 came up and picked them up. Or maybe I'm just mixing it up with a uh, misremembering. I mean, that was what 15 years ago. Yeah, maybe. Anyhow, back to this issue. Anyhow. Um, I like that. I like that they mentioned the. The the warp sled, right. Nice little attention to detail. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, I thought I thought McCoy
1: was saying some pretty nasty things pertaining to sex between a human and a Klingon at the beginning in sickbay when he was checking yeah. out the uh, uh, checking out Moron. He was saying some pretty well. He and Konam. I mean, he was basically saying things like the only way that a Klingon and a human would mate is uh, at the end of a uh, the gunpoint. And it's like, McCoy, you know, Konam is right there, and so is Bryce. And it's like, <laughs> now, Konam's right into the conversation. You are right, Doctor. And it's like, and it's Bryce is like, what the heck are you guys saying? So, and I'm with her. and And, and the idea that McCoy would be so clueless about what he was saying in front of those those two. Uh, and then the fact that yeah. that, that Konam was absolutely fine with it, it was
0: like, oh, that's odd. And that's, you know, McCoy. Mm. Right, well, the, the McCoy part I thought was actually kind of cool, because I had a note about that too, because he says love between a human and a Klingon is extremely rare. Which I thought was funny, because I was like, okay, so he's actually acknowledging that... It could happen. I mean, you really shouldn't be having sex unless you're in love. I, I thought that was kind of what that line was kind of implying. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. Well, that's the way I took well, it. And then he says, he says, uh, my guess is that uh, the, a Klingon forced himself on a human female. And then Konum's like, Yeah, we don't we don't normally take prisoners, but we do take pets. <laughs> like, exactly. My goodness. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I was just like. I don't know. It was just uh, just odd. But the, the fact that McCoy was saying love, you know, implying, you know, a, a romantic relationship, and then, I don't know. And then Conum's like, yeah, they're, they're pets. Right. Which is really weird, man. No, I'm with you. It was a very odd conversation, and, and Bryce had every right to be freaked out and run off. <laughs> <laughs> I would be, too. <laughs> you think I'm a pet? Wait a minute. Boy, I thought the pet was talking about you know moron. No, I think he was talking about the the female that got. Oh, oh really? Konam was saying that, huh? Yeah, yeah. Because he's saying because because basically McCoy says Klingons and humans can't fall in love, uh, so a Klingon must have raped this woman, and then and then McCoy follows that up with. But I don't think I never heard of Klingons taking prisoners. You know, implying that you're ha- you're raping the prisoner, and then Konam's like, "Yeah, that's true, but we do sometimes take pets," and I'm like, "Wow." Well, okay, he he could be saying strange. he could be saying literally.
1: I mean, some of the some of the Klingon captains have their what uh, Reverend Jim okay. Klingon.
0: He had the uh, <laughs> the nasty dog thing, right? Right, and this one has his little iguana guy. So you know,
1: maybe, maybe he's actually literally saying, "Well, we're re- we're a little redeemable. Sometimes we take pets." Maybe he's saying that. How? No, that
0: is not. This does not make sense. What do you he's mean? Talking is about? Well, I think it makes perfect but sense. What's he saying? I understand that Klingons uh, don't take prisoners. Yeah. And so, if they don't take prisoners, there would be nobody to rape. And if there was nobody to rape, there would be no well, more. I take it different. And then, and then, Kona agrees. Yes, that's true. But sometimes we adopt pets. Well, implying that some Klingon took a woman. Oh, to a pet well, I had, think you're looking okay. at
1: it very negatively. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm saying that there's another way to interpret that, which basically McCoy is saying. Klingons are nasty people. They don't even take prisoners. And then Konam is saying, "Yeah, but we're a little redeemable. Sometimes we take pets." But uh, I think there's two so ways think... you could che- two ways you could take so that.
0: Konam is saying, "Well, we do sometimes t- take pets, so therefore, we're not absolutely we would... irredeemable." So then, As opposed to trying... you, who's they... saying basically we uh, slavery. Well, so so is is McCoy saying it's a rape situation, and then Conum is saying, "Well, we take pets, so it' not necessarily a rape situation." Because it's the same conversation; it's not two separate conversations.
1: No, no, I, I'm he's not saying it's two
0: co- different conversations. From, and
1: I'm just saying, saying there's two
0: interpretations. Been.
1: All right. But in either way, it's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. <laughs> And I guess that was the point. I mean, you want to be uncomfortable because obviously that gives more motivation to Bryce being uncomfortable.
0: Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. That he was so, like you said, that they're having a pretty nonchalant conversation, as if it's just normal talk, and and the fact that Bryce and Conum are both in this situation where they're about to get married. Yeah. Is is. Not, uh, not a good conversation. Right. Yep. Okay, so the uh,
1: cognoscenti are the mysterious uh, backers of Captain Zare? Yeah, who are they? I don't know. I'm, I'm looking for, fi- like you say, I hope we find out in the coming issues. And again, I wonder, you know, again, depending upon how this turns out, you know, I'm wondering... Did the Enterprise writing staff maybe get an idea from this about the Temporal War? The Temporal War, or Or, just a coincidence. Or just a coincidence, exactly. So were those, those were the Sulaban. Was it the Sulaban that were the, uh, um... The Sulaban were the recipients Exactly, recipients of the technology. Okay. Yeah.
0: I don't think we ever found out who was actually giving them the information, do we? No,
1: they they, they ended all that.
0: It, It seemed like somebody that
1: was, um... You know, just coming back from time, but couldn't be physically in the right. past, so they just was able to talk to him. That's what it seemed right.
0: like it was during the Enterprise G time, right? It was the G, right, or F? That weird looking Enterprise?
1: Um,
0: J. J. J.
1: Yeah, I think I that, think you're right.
0: It's... When with
1: that that crewman, what's his face? That turned out to be from the future. I think he was right. saying that. Uh, that was yeah.
0: Now, have we ever has Eagle Moss ever done Jay that one?
1: No, yeah. but I think you're the one that mentioned to me that they were supposed to be doing it. But so okay. far, I have not seen it available on
0: their site yet. Well, let me know. That one I might want. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it's really weird looking. It's very weird looking. I just but... want to. I just want to see it from a different angle than what we. The only thing we've seen is that one panel from Enterprise. I just want to see what what the rest of the ship looks like. Oh. Well. So anyways... uh, That's the nice thing about Eagle Moss, boy, because
1: they they appear to get these models really right, uh, very accurate, um, and there were so many ships at the beginning of First Contact, very cool ships. Uh, The Akira class, uh, the Steam Runner class, very cool ships that you only saw them for a few minutes, and then sometimes I, I think you they may have made some guest appearances later in the uh, DS Nine assault to get back right. DS Nine. So that was like some of those ships were popped up again in that Armada fleet, but um, mm-hmm. but an, I really never saw much of them. But when I got the the Eagle Moss models, they are cool, detailed, nice. So I'm looking for a similar, forward to a similar thing with uh, Enterprise J.
0: Right. All right, so I got two two quick things and then I think I'll be done. Okay. Um, one was the um, the third planet, the uh, a- 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 in whatever the name of the planet right. was, I forgot now. Right. Um, I thought it was kind of cool that they're mentioning a similar situation than what that Maggie's world was. I and mean, they don't reference Maggie's world oh, in here, right. but you know, it was just a few issues ago that we did the Maggie's world, where uh, it was a, where the Federation and the Klingons were both competing mm-hmm. to control this 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 planet. I thought that was a nice. I mean, that that has no precedent in the old show, right? Mm, the original That's what I recall. Yeah, I no, mean, there either. was no uh, <laughs> there was no cohabitation going on between Klingons and humans. So I thought that was cool that they brought that up again. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, I just want to know what is it that. Kirk said in the turbo lift. I'm assuming he said no and that's my final word, mm-hmm. but I thought it was odd that they they don't really tell you what he says. Well, right, he a- he asks, "Can I volunteer for the mission?" The door shuts and then he opens up and says, "No." He doesn't say no. He said, "And that's my final world- yeah. word." Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, so, maybe he wrote it, Peter David wrote it, and it was like
1: yeah, you know, maybe it only really matters that Kirk said no, and we don't have to go into the details. Right. Just to keep things moving along. Because Kirk has already stated very clearly, I think. I think he made a very good cogent argument about why he came to the decision he came to. About getting rid of Bearclaw. And quite frankly, we've been saying for many issues, why do they put up with this guy? And so I really like it that
0: finally Kirk says, I've had enough. I think it's great. So, what if we find out that he's the one that told uh, Bearclaw to run over there and tell Fergie that her mom died? No! And by the way, that whole thing, that is so freaking
1: Bearclaw. He would go up to somebody, and to get him off the ship for his own selfish ends to save his career, he's going to tell somebody their mother died. That is nasty! That is nasty! Yeah, effective. I'll give him points for cra- for for cleverness, but it's like, oh my god, you are a you are a, a heel. <laughs> you are just no, you're just not a nice person. Anyway, I don't think anybody's
0: accused him of being a nice person. No,
1: no, not at all. But sometimes you go over a line,
0: you know. Anyway, right, whatever. Anyways, I, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to. What what happens with Bear Claw? I'm with you. I might be done with with him. I have been done with him for a while, so. Right. I, I will not cry if he goes away. No.
1: No. But he does add a little bit of conflict, right? Sure. So as the people that uh, the the creators of Voyager, what uh, something they said at the beginning, they want to have more conflict in the series between the bridge crew because that's something that Roddenberry said, no, no, no. So there pretty much never was. Um, pretty much never was. Shelby uh, versus Riker. That was pretty good conflict. I thought that was great conflict in uh, Best of, both, yeah, that was best really of both Worlds. But for the most part, it wasn't there by, by uh, Roddenberry's edict. So throwing in somebody like Bearclaw You know, some of you can kind of (laughs) hate a little bit. Um,
0: I think it spices things up, even though I really don't like him. Right. All right. Then, uh, as we mentioned earlier, uh, next week, we are going to go back into um, the Kelvin timeline. And we're going to finish off the ongoing with the last two issues there and the first issue of Boldly Go, which is the um, first series based after Beyond,
1: right. Star Trek Beyond Yeah, and I think um, I think the little I've read of both of those books or the, all three of those books is 59 and 60 is a very interesting blending of Taw's and, and the Kelvin timeline characters um, I, mm-hmm. I haven't read it all yet, but it, that looks interesting and then uh, they really do shake things up in Boldly Go. Uh,
0: so it's not going to be, um, it's not going to just have the Kirk on, on, the, um, the, the, just redone Enterprise. on the new Enterprise, eh? Yeah. No. Yeah, because that's what I was looking well, for. That's, that's huh.
1: what I expected. But then I, I've got the book, I'm looking through a few of the pages, and no, Kirk is on a, on a different ship. Uh, a ship that looks a little different from the Enterprise. Just a little different. The the nacelles are a little lower. Uh, so maybe it's closer to what the redone Enterprise is? I'm not sure. Anyway, he's on a totally new hmm. ship, and the only one on the ship with him is McCoy. Everybody else is, like, scattered to the winds. Really? That's not what I was expecting. Enough. I agree! So I think that uh, everybody... You know, the band will get back together again, I certainly think. But, um... I kind of like how they're shaking things up a bit.
0: Wonder if it'll be a little bit like how it was with um when Spock was off on his own Back... ship
1: or Yeah, when Spock was off on his own ship. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: So maybe they go ahead and see what's going on with Spock, wherever he ended up and I'm sure S- yeah. Spock and somebody, you know, maybe Chekov or somebody uh got onto a, the same ship. Just so they don't spread the storylines around too thin, but
0: Right. Hopefully, they'll say spot uh, check off on the Reliant. Oh, right. Right.
1: Exactly. That would make sense. They they definitely should put him on the Reliant. I agree with that. Right. That would be a nice nod. So, I mean, if they're if they're putting people on different ships, that would make perfect sense. Yeah. All right. Looking forward to those two issues next week.
0: Yeah. Oh, so I can't issues. wait. All right, well then uh, we'll go ahead and drop off and uh, everybody have a good week and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Thank you
1: for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at star t